Welcome to AFSPA Talks, a production of the American Foreign Service Protective Association. Each week, we deliver informative health and wellness topics you want to know about, so be sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast channel. And if you have any questions about content discussed in this episode, ask them at AFSPA Live, our live Q&A session streaming every last Thursday of the month at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on youtube.com slash AFSPACares. Now here's your host, Chief Operating Officer, Kyle Longton. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of AFSPA Talks. Uh, we did take last week off for a little bit of a summer break, and I um, hope you all are enjoying the end of summer, too. This is Kyle Longton, and I am your host, um, here as usual to bring you some more information about benefits, wellness, and insurance that I hope will be beneficial to you. Now, today we continue our month-long focus on children's health. Earlier this month, we shared with you some excerpts about preparing for the birth of a baby and early childhood health, as well as some basics about preventive care and vaccinations. Now, as part of the excerpts that we included in that episode, Dr. Pearl Ben-Joseph shared some information about behavioral and mental health screenings that may be part of kids' annual checkups. However, we didn't get too far into detail about that. But today we will, because today AFSPA talks children's behavioral health. So last year, longtime listeners may remember that we had a conversation with Dr. Grodberg from Brightline Health. Um, I encourage you to go back and listen to that episode if you're interested. We went into some detail um, about his work, about Brightline Health. Um, But I am super excited to have this episode that we're offering today because earlier this month, ASPA announced our new partnership with Brightline Health, finally in place, and this means that we are able to put you in touch with virtual services to support behavioral health needs of children and their caregivers. So to help us dive into the specifics of behavioral health for children and talk about how Brightline works, I'm excited to have two of their clinical managers with us. First, it's Allison Stoner. She's a clinical psychologist and senior clinical manager at Brightline. She's experienced working with youth and families across presenting concerns, including anxiety, depression, dramatic stress, and chronic health conditions. Allison is passionate about providing evidence-based mental health services to youth and empowering families through strengths-based solutions-focused interventions. She's a dedicated advocate for the psychosocial health and well-being of all youth and families and enjoys collaborating with other child-serving providers to meet the behavioral health needs. Allison earned her PhD in clinical psychology with a child family subspecialty from Loyola University Chicago and completed postdoctoral training in pediatric chronic pain and headaches at Children's Hospital of Wisconsin. Prior to joining Brightline, Allison worked in Children's Hospital, pediatric primary care, outpatient, and school settings. Also with us today is Honora Einhorn. She's a licensed independent clinical social worker a senior manager, and a behavioral therapist at Brightline. She's worked with children, adolescents, and families across diverse concerns, including depression, anxiety, trauma, chronic illness, sexual and reproductive health, and identity. Honora is dedicated to promoting and advocating for the psychosocial health and well-being of children, adolescents, and families. She's passionate about providing science-based mental health interventions and prevention strategies for children and adolescents while operating under the principles of social justice. Honora earned her Master of Social Work from Boston College and her Master of Arts in Clinical Psychology from Columbia University. 
Prior to Brightline, Honor worked as the Director of Mental Health at Boston Happens, Boston Children's Hospital. We're so lucky to have the two of them with us today. Allison and Honora, welcome to AFSPA Talks. Thanks so much for having us today. Yeah. So when I connected with you all, I was very excited about the information that we could share with our members. Um, and that I think was probably reflected in the first draft of the proposal I sent you all for the episode. Um, and I want to say, first off, thank you all for guiding us to something more manageable um, than that initial vision. So something that our, our members can listen to, at least within the space of a, a single day. Um, but, you know, we, we're focused on children's health this this month. And, um, and part of that's because we've got a lot of kids returning to school. My own three kids are starting new schools this year. My, my twins are starting first grade and I have my youngest starting preschool in the weeks ahead. And so this is a, a time for a lot of change for my family and, and for many others. Um, and we discussed sort of taking a, a focus on elementary school age kids. And, and with that in mind, I wonder if you all could share um, with us and the, the listeners some general approaches that parents and other caregivers can take to support healthy behavioral development in children. Yeah, happy to start us off with thinking just sort of broadly the the range of social and emotional skills we're thinking about um, that take place during this developmental period. What um what, what mastery skills we're, we're talking about. And, you know, of course, to preface, um, every child has a unique trajectory. Um, and of course, there are some typical elements of mastery during this time that we can speak to. So, you know, starting off with social development, um, we know this is a rapid time, an exciting time for developing um, independent relationships, building friendships um, outside of the home, spending more time at school, less time with family. And these friendships are usually around shared activities and interests. Um, their interpersonal and socio-emotional skills are developed via relationship building, maintenance, conflict, um, which all serve as opportunities for growth in terms of understanding, social understanding, negotiation, as well as building of empathy. Um, in addition, there are new skills around moral reasoning that take place during this time with an emphasis on fairness and rules, which many parents may be familiar with. Um, and then when we think about emotional development, the mastery surrounds identification and healthy expression of one's emotions. And this can be an ongoing difficulty with identifying expressing um, distress specifically. So this can look like externalizing behaviors such as irritability, emotional outbursts, um, as they build their, their emotional identification, understanding, and modulation skills. In addition, they're also building skills around self-efficacy and competency. What's, what's wonderful about this time is cognitively, they're also developing, though still concrete, um, wonderful problem-solving skills. Um, and, and in addition, the, the development of their language skills at this time serve particular importance in this stage as, as it assists in facilitating both emotional and interpersonal development um, and expression. I'll let um, actually Allison speak to um, within that, what, what parents and caregivers can be doing to support that. Yeah, thanks, Honora. Um, I think our caregivers play such an important role in supporting the social and emotional development across development, but especially before the transition to adolescence, where that family of origin still really holds the power. Um, so one key way that caregivers can really assist in this process is by modeling emotional identification and healthy coping of their own. Um, so this can look like naming your own emotional experience and verbalizing that process for your kiddo. And this helps normalize the experience of having a range of emotions for your child. So for example, maybe you like me, sometimes 
sometimes forget to set a timer on your dinner and it burns and you might have your child in the room witnessing this with you. And so one way to kind of use this as a learning experience would be kind of to name that, like I'm feeling angry that dinner's burnt. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to take a few deep breaths so I can clear my mind and come up with a plan. And maybe this is an opportunity to introduce deep breathing. Maybe it's five finger breathing where you breathe in as you trace up your finger and breathe out as you trace down going across all five fingers. Um, Maybe your kiddo wants to join in on those breaths and maybe they have an idea for what's for dinner. And that could be really a good shared experience. Another way you can support the development of your child's social and emotional skills is by being present, just being there as a social support. Um, if you have a busy family schedule, like many families, try to find a touch point to check in as a family or do a one-on-one with your child. So again, this can be a chance to check in, normalize that things don't always go as planned and can model that problem solving that Honor was speaking to. So family dinner might be a good opportunity for some families. It's not just before bed when everyone's exhausted and hard to kind of process. I like doing a rose check-in, which has these three parts. So the rose, the bud, and the thorn. Each family member can go around and say one thing that went well today, the rose, one thing that didn't go so well, the thorn, and one thing that they're looking forward to, so the bud. And when your child's experiencing a difficult emotion, because that's going to happen, you can support them while they're doing that, experiencing that distress. So demonstrating to them that you can hold that feeling and help them better understand and work through what they're experiencing. So use context clues to help give a name to your child's experience. Leverage those language skills on what I was talking about. So for example, you might say something like, I see that you're sitting really close to me and speaking really quietly. I wonder if you're feeling nervous about your first soccer practice tonight. Naming that emotion can go a really long way and helping your child to be able to cope with it. And then if your kid's not too overwhelmed in the moment, you could give them a strategy to manage those big feelings. So that way you can kind of give voice to the emotion, open up a conversation about what's going on. So in the soccer practice example, maybe your kiddo shares that that nervousness is because they don't know what to expect. So maybe you can validate that experience, that fear of uncertainty. Let them know that you're going to be there just right on the sideline. Maybe you guys come up with a way that your child can wear something, maybe like a bracelet or a favorite t-shirt that empowers them and makes them feel more confident about facing their fear um, during practice. I'm just, I'm, I'm making notes for my own dinner tonight about Rosebud and Thorn. And um, also we're, we're starting softball in my family. So I'm also making notes about that as we're looking forward to the first practice. So, um, you know, th- this is great. I'm really glad this is recorded. Um, now, a- Allison, I appreciate you said, you know, things don't always turn out as we expected. Um, and, and so I, that's maybe an understatement for, for what I want to bring up next. Um, we spent a lot of time talking and thinking about COVID for the last now two and a half years. Um, And there's now new guidance out from the CDC and school districts are either finalizing or changing or redoing or throwing out um, their plans for the school year. So, you know, in this context, we know that that mental and behavioral health in kids has been a growing issue um, before the pandemic. And certainly the pandemic has not helped. Um, can you can you all comment um, on the role you see COVID playing for kids, um, you know, both at the elementary and, and at the higher, um, the, the middle and, and high school levels? Yeah, certainly, Kyle. Um, 
you know, maybe we can kind of talk more broadly at first about kind of how COVID's impact kids across development and then honor can speak to kind of what we're seeing more clinically. So, you know, COVID has had such a significant impact on the lives of youth and family, especially with respect to social and emotional development, as you mentioned. So for children that are entering elementary school for the first time or maybe early on in elementary school, Maybe the pandemic resulted in less frequent play dates and interactions with same age peers in the community. Some families may have needed to or chose to forego formal preschool, which really for some helps prepare for that school entry process by having increased opportunities for socialization and kind of keeping routine and structure, which is a new skill. Um, and those later elementary age kids, the pandemic disrupted the cultivation of friendships and the development of social problem solving that are so key during this time period. And this all often occurs at school. Um, also, the exploration of interests and skills through extracurricular activities was also disrupted for this group of kids. And when we consider our middle and high school aged youth, they may have had those established friendships, hobbies, interests but they had to transition to interacting with others online and also spending more time at home with their families. Um, many had lots more increased engagement with social media. With, with that comes lots of social comparison and pressures to cultivate a social media presence or image. And some, some teens and preteens then also had increased family responsibilities at home due to changing home dynamics. Yeah. That's a, that's an excellent point, especially I, I think less about that last one, but they may have been more responsible for things at home or caring for younger siblings. Absolutely. And, and honor, this is our lived experience. What are you all then seeing on the clinical side? Yeah, absolutely. Happy to speak to that as um, Allison was naming. Um, those are like, this is, those are sort of new normative stressors that we have all been experiencing collectively. And so we've, what I, what we've seen clinically is um, uh uh, an increase in a, a number, like a, a variety of presentations, clinical presentations and diagnoses. So speaking to um, some of the um, fears that were, that were created as a result of the pandemic, we have, we've absolutely seen an increase in anxiety and that's looks like generalized anxiety. But in addition for, for those who didn't have those opportunities um, to practice being in the school and to um, practice being socialized, there's um, elements of social and separation anxiety that we've also witnessed in terms of clinical presentations. Um, in addition, um, particularly as, as um, Allison mentioned, the um, for, for teens and, and, and older youth in particular, who this is a time where their independence should be blossoming and um, freedom outside the home is, is such a core part of their development and um, having to, to, to remain at home, maybe in their room, possibly there was increased isolation. And so we also saw um, in addition, depression and the, as, as I know, Allison briefly spoke to the social comparison we've seen also um, an emergence of, of eating disorders um, clinically, um, which has been incredibly unfortunate, but um, all of these things have been incredibly unfortunate. I think outside of sort of anxiety, depression, um, eating disorders, in addition to some degree, we see, um, you know, overall more dysregulation with younger youth um, as well at more elementary school ages. And so they've struggled with um, like, you know, modulation skills as well as boundary and physical boundary setting. And um, so particularly, um, we, we have seen like intermittent explosive disorders. So things that are, are more externalizing presentations. Wow. Well, and, and obviously you all are seeing those when they're coming into your, your practice through, through Brightline and, um, and 
Honor, I appreciate you started our discussion by noting that that every child is unique um, and and develops uniquely and so forth. But you know, keeping that in mind, for both of you, are there are there common signs that we as as parents and, and caregivers might look for in children in our lives that that point to a need for additional support or care or intervention? Yeah, absolutely uh, happy to start that conversation. So. Um, in, in terms of, of, of potential warning signs or signs of concerns, um, I think of a few elements, uh, one being distress, right? Rather that distress is named explicitly by your child or you witness it. Um, and then in addition to emotional distress that 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 you, you, you note there, um, we want to think about impairment. Um, so is there impairment in functioning across various domains and contexts or environments? Do you see impairment in school, uh, within the family, in the home, or within their relationships in general? And for both distress and impairment, we think sort of actually clinically about um, the duration of, of that distress or impairment, the frequency of it, as well as the severity. And those are the factors we we, we consider when we think about if, if it's appropriate to engage in further support or care. I know, Allison, if you want to speak further to that. Yeah, thanks, Anura. And, and I think that it's, you know, these are such important considerations. Maybe you as a caregiver aren't sure, like is, does, does my child meet the criteria for needing more help? And, and that's okay that you're not sure and consider engaging others that are involved in the life of your child into this conversation, these other key stakeholders. So they might be other caregivers who spend a lot of time with your child. Maybe it's aunts or uncles, grandparents, a regular babysitter, and other child-serving providers, their classroom teacher, pediatrician, even coaches. Um, these different folks each have unique interactions with their child and can offer information about how they're doing in different environments, as well as have things changed? You know, have they seen a significant shift? Mm. Um, your pediatrician is a great first stop. Um, they can give you general questions, answer general questions about growth and development. Um, you can give your doctor's office a call and ask about setting up an appointment to discuss behavioral health concerns. Or if you're not quite sure you're ready to do that yet, keep a running list and at your, your kiddo's next physical, bring those up. Um, those school-based providers have such a wealth of information for your child as they spend so much of their time um, at school during the week when school's in session. Um, it's really important to find a good advocate for your child at their school. Um, some classroom teachers, if you share your concerns, might lead them to implement some new interventions to address those concerns. They might already be doing things and they can share back with you some of the success that they've had in the classroom and maybe that can help you at home. They might also be able to connect you with available school-based supports like small groups for social and emotional skills that are already running um, at the, the school. Um, there's the caveat though, if, if it becomes like academic to onerous point. So if you're seeing that impairment in school functioning and it's specifically academic, your child's like not meeting those academic benchmarks that you'd like to be seeing, then it may, um, it may be time to kind of get further assessment to determine if they're eligible for additional support. So every school is so unique. And I know that, that folks attend lots of different schools, um, if you're within a public school environment, um, there is a specific process that you can request an eligibility assessment for special educational services or um, additional school-based supports. Um, so we'd really encourage you to kind of consult um, with the, uh, the appropriate folks within your school district to understand what resources are available. Um, and I do think that anytime you're going to 
get someone else involved. It's so important to make sure that your child's a part of that conversation and prepare them um, for those for those appointments, for those consultations. Give them the heads up. Allow them to ask questions. This can assist in easing any sort of nervousness and help them feel more comfortable during the meeting. And and I so appreciate that you 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 know noted we we've got a, a diverse membership in there. Um, in a, a number of different settings um, for school. And we also even have some some school psychologists who are our members and, and hopefully listening to this um, as well. And I know that there's a lot of um, care out there. And as somebody who benefited greatly starting in first grade from school-based counseling, I encourage our listeners to, to seek that out um, and seek out those resources. Um, Let's talk about a, a specific action that they can that that our members could take though, and and parents and caregivers um, who are FSBP members um, could take to um, engage support, and that is with you all through Brightline. Um, now we have the the partnership between um, Foreign Service Benefit Plan and Brightline in place um, with with some help from our friends at Aetna. Um, and Brightline providers are considered now in network with um, FSBP. Beyond that, that's that's the technical language I've got to put in there so that our members understand what we're talking about. Um, you get more technical. <laughs> um, you tell us how does it work? Um, how can our our members take advantage? And what is it exactly that the that that our members now have access to with Brightline? Yeah, happy to to start us off. This is you know I could go on for many for a very long time, like with the other questions with this one, but happy to take it off. So you know and. High level Brightline is, um, you know, what we believe is a unique and innovative approach to providing pediatric behavioral health care, offering accessible nationwide family centered model via telehealth. Um, and so, um, but I think what's what's really relevant for our potential members here um, is that Brightline has sort of a, a three tiered model in terms of how we can support families. The first tier is something called Connect. And so Connect is a library actually accessible to members uh, filled with resources, articles, media developed by professional writers alongside clinicians to offer a broad range of support for, for common as well as you know very specific concerns, needs, um, expectations. And this looks like uh, a, a collection of articles around puberty that I, I know I supported at one point. It can also look like, as you know, as Allison was speaking to how we can connect folks to um, academic supports. There's articles around school-based support and considering an IEP in that process. Um, and then in addition, like media to support you in, in deep breathing exercises and self-regulation and modulation skills, um, as well as other sort of snippet articles around self-esteem and, and self-compassion that are, are, are really fun to read. Um, outside of that are sort of the next tier of that model outside of the library um, is engaging in one of our services. The first service above the Connect library is um, coaching. And coaching may be new for a lot of people. Um, so love talking about coaching as, as a wonderful service, but uh, prior to or in conjunction with clinical care. So uh, coaching in a nutshell supports subclinical needs. Um, they provide goal-specific services to families with a broad range of concerns and works with folks, you know, 18 months plus, but within our age, it's up until uh, they turn 18. Um, and it ranges from caregiver-directed programs to child and teen-directed programs, and it's more of a structured model that's based in research-backed clinical skills. Um, and they can support presentations ranging from sleep hygiene, tantrums, a um, lot of lot of lot of common things that 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 we may be able to provide additional support to caregivers in a shorter shorter amount of time that is not to the clinical level of need. Um, so that can also be emerging fears, et cetera. So then the third tier really of of, of service is clinical care. 
And um, so within this final tier, this third tier of clinical care, we have three types of service providers. One type of service provider is a therapist. So these are all licensed clinical professionals providing evidence-based or research-based behavioral health care to clinical needs. Um, And clinical presentations are things like depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, things of that nature. Um, And in addition, we have the other two kinds of providers, which is one is another behavioral health provider, which is our med management team. These are psychiatrists, physicians, as well as psychiatric nurse practitioners who can provide medication support. Um, And then third, we have also speech language pathologists. Um, And um, of course, they're providing a a different level of service, but all can provide care in conjunction with one another. Um, And for more specifics for your members, if it's helpful to know, um, our therapy services are for kids around six to age 17. So that's both med management as well as therapy. Um, but for those interested in speech language pathology, that age range is a bit different. It's for folks ages 18 months to year to age 11, which I'm sure for folks that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, that's it. I think what's helpful to know is also as soon as you become a member of Brightline, you have accessible to you immediately a member support specialist as well as a coach. Um, and they're in these separate little chats that you have um, on the Brightline platform when you log in. And the member support specialist can support you with all sorts of logistics like insurance, billing, scheduling, releases, uploading documents, Um facilitating administrative needs, um, while the coach can be there to support your initial journey into care and determining what what type of care would be relevant, as well as supporting you if you are in therapy, facilitating the care alongside the therapist. Um, So that said, they they are two distinct programs, but if you are in therapy, you can also have support from the coach, which is facilitated and led by the therapist. Um, So, you know, that said, parents can, oh, actually, I'll pause there. (laughs) Um, other questions that I can support you with. I know that there, there could be, I just named a lot. So. Yeah. If, if I can ask, and I, you touched on this, but if I can just ask, um, you discussed the the qualifications of the people at the care level. What about the coaches? Are they, these people who are in maybe training to eventually be at the care level? Are they specifically trained in different, different ways of support? What can, could you just expand on that a little bit? Absolutely. So, um, behavioral health coaches, um, are typically, so there's, there's several like certifications that are like nationwide certifications for behavioral health coaching. Um, for the, they, they ultimately have a master's degree in behavioral health or early childhood, um, development, et cetera, or childhood development, et cetera. So that's, that's their, their qualifications, but they don't have the clinical license. So they have the, 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 the training and experience, um, or they maybe have the clinical license, but they prefer to support folks with, um, that, that are with a different kind of presentation. So in, in many ways, we think of the coaching tier of this model as a preventative model. Um, so if you're starting to see an emergence of, of concerns or fears, engaging with coaching initially might prevent one from, from having to engage in clinical services. We also think of them as a part of our step-down model. So if you're engaging in care and you're demonstrating improvement, um, but actually we think you need, might just need a little bit more support with skilled practice, we may discharge you as a step-down to a coach who is more accessible to you to chat with. So this is our, our, our new model in thinking about how to provide accessible and appropriate clinical care. I love it. I love it. It's just sort of something for everyone um, yeah. and and really finding a solution to meet each individual's needs. Um, mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. Um, and absolutely ha- happy to speak to um, other questions about progress and and what virtual care is like. Are there other questions specifically about that that I can support with? Yeah, I, I, I am curious. You know, is it, we, we have some programs where it's a set number of sessions or a set amount of time that somebody's engaging in the program. 
is that how Brightline is structured or is it sort of, as we discussed before, sort of meeting that individual's needs? And so it, it's going to vary from person to person. Yeah, that's a great question. I can start. And then Allison, I'd love to hear your thoughts here too. I think it's 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 a bit of a combination. Uh, first and foremost, we want to be aligned with the family, what they're looking for, what they want to need, and also in aligned with what's clinically appropriate um, and what is our clinical recommendation. Um, and so I do know there are certain plans that actually do have caps on sessions. So I, I it sounds like that is not the model. At it's not us. <laughs> okay, there you go. Um, so so that said, um, you know, we do have 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 certain structures around um, session, session length, all of which is based in what's in the research and what's effective practice. Um, so I will, I will start with that. So for therapy, therapy it's, it's, it's once a week. Um, and we typically are supporting clientele between 10 and 16 sessions. So it could be 10 and 16 weeks. Um, and that's, that, that's based in evidence-based practice mm-hmm. that, that we operate by, which is uh, most of which is cognitive behavioral therapy, as well as other evidence-based modalities. Um, and so that's where the research, we, we should expect progress and clinical improvement by that time. And if we don't, then we absolutely have you know, individual discussions around what's happening. Do we need to engage in additional support, higher level of care, um, so we're, we're, we're always mindful of, of, of how this impacts the family. Um, but that's typically 10 to 16 session is, is more our average um, of, okay. of what we're seeing. Um, and, and if someone needs, I, I, I guess it's important to preface that we aren't a lifelong care model. Mm-hmm. Instead, I think we're more of a, a, a home, like a behavioral health home for families where absolutely engage with us and we can support you and make you sure to be effective and efficient to address this clinical or, or subclinical concern. And then we want to close. So then you have time to independently build those skills, that self-efficacy without us having to be present. So we always want to build independent skills around the clinical support we offer, but then you can always re-engage. So there's, there's, we're, we're still a home is I think what I want to preface, but I, I, we also don't want anyone to be dependent on us. I appreciate us. that. Yeah, Allison, do you have other thoughts around that? Yeah, thanks, Honora. I think that you did a great job of kind of explaining that approach. And, and I would say that we are we are a short-term solutions-focused um, intervention. And that's based on the research. That's what we know works um, for these, these presenting concerns that we serve here at Brightline. Um, and I think that last piece that you shared, Honora, about, you know, when you enter care in Brightline, we're thinking towards that graduation, empowering you with skills to practice in your real life. And we're we're here to be a part of that journey. And that's the work that happens in between sessions. Um, there's also some stepping up or stepping down that Honor described. So if you start in coaching and, and then you determine that there are additional kind of targets for intervention that could be served in, in therapy, we can step you up there or vice versa if maybe... Um, you know, one key thing we're seeing a lot of post-pandemic too are kind of organization and planning skills. We have a great organization program and coaching um, that might be a nice fit for someone who is working on those executive function skills. So we could step down after successful discharge from therapy. So I think there's some um, there's some wiggle room moving back and forth that could kind of extend your Brightline experience for this episode of care. But most importantly, we expect our members to graduate um, and to be able to use those skills in the real world independently. I, I really appreciate that because I think people don't always know who have not been in any kind of care or coaching situation before what that looks like and think, oh gosh, I'm getting involved in something that's going to be part of my life 
without, you know, an, an endpoint or a goal. And I'm just going to be talking to somebody. And I appreciate the the focus on building skills and and for the long-term success and 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 the the reference to serving as a home. You know, you all are there if somebody needs you again in the future, but giving giving people wings to to go forward and and, and grow independently. I love that. Um yeah. Yeah. yeah I was nice. And I also wanted to note, you know, as as um, as you, I, I loved how Allison spoke to you, like we're thinking about graduation and, and you having these skills independently from the beginning, because I, you know, also want to name, and as we're thinking about what is evidence-based research, what, what is effective, what is efficient, we, we use measures and tools from the very beginning to ensure that we are meeting treatment goals, to ensure that we are seeing progress and, and, and seeing clinical success. So, you know, whether it's an initial coaching session or a therapy session, you set up family goals at that first session and every visit after you are reassessing the progress on that, on those goals. And in addition to those, we also have validated measures of, of clinical distress and, and presentation that we also use to inform progress to inform us about it. like if 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 we're making progress if we're not how do we address that quickly and um and expedite that so i think there's in addition there's always um always discussion with um i'll pause there okay so and, yeah and, yeah i i appreciate and the ongoing assessment yeah. and checking yeah. in about where you are on the prog- process is is fantastic because that lets people know where they are instead of being oh next week's our last session as a surprise <laughs> um now, one thing I wanted to 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 check in on because last year um, I we did an episode with um, Dr. Grodberg, and he mentioned that there was at that time still to come an autism um, program. It, I understand now it's in place, and we do hear regularly from a number of foreign service benefit plan families who are looking for the best way to support a family member who is has been diagnosed as being on the autism spectrum and, and how best to support their growth. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the program, what it what it offers and what it doesn't offer? Happy to start a bit here. So, um, yeah, this is. I think this is a very exciting, um, you know, new uh, new initiative at Brightline that I'm I'm curious to see where it will grow. And and for right now, what we currently have is it's a, a coaching based intervention um, specifically for caregivers and parents of individuals with autism. So um, it is they're using. Um, research-backed like interventions to support caregivers in managing and and supporting their child that may um, be diagnosed with ASD. Um, But it is a coaching-specific program directed for caregivers. What it is not is ABA. What it is not is uh, clinical care with the therapist working with the the child with ASD to treat ASD. Um, um, Anything to to add to that, Allison, to cover? No, I think that... That's really good clarification, though, for the families that are interested, you know, that um, about what we do offer within our model and what we're not able to support. And I think that that's important because we we have done a good job, I think, of growing our ABA network providers for members, at least in the United States. Um, but I think it's also important that when you're caring for someone, you also need to make sure you're caring for yourself and, and getting that support and those me- mechanisms to to support those in your life that you need. Um, and, and I appreciate that that is what this this program is offering. And so I'll encourage our, our members um, who think they might benefit to, to take a look and more information about that at the, the end of our, our um, discussion. And you know, before we really wrap up, is, is there anything that you all feel like we've missed or anything more that you all would like to add to share with our listeners? I'll, I'll start with you, Allison. 
I just wanted to add that we're really excited about the chance to work with the AFSPA community and look forward to working alongside you to improve the health and wellness of your children and families as a whole. Excellent. We we're, we are excited about it too. Um, Honor, anything, anything else you'd like to add? Uh, yeah, happy to echo Allison and also name that um, we hope that this this virtual, this telehealth model means more accessible care for, for you and your family, something that can can really support you in, in, in the needs that you have within your family, be more convenient, um, but still effective and 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 really thoughtful and supportive. Um, I think that's that's we're very, very excited to partner with you all. And one silly thing to note that I wrote down that I wanted to make sure to know is that because I, I love telling members this, because I think very often when you're in telehealth or, or digital tools in general. You're not sure who is behind the person talking to me. And I love telling people that those people in those chats, member support and coach are actually real people. They are not bots. They are real people. Um, so, so love to, to, to know that like, every time you are contacting or engaging with Brightline, you're speaking to a real person. Absolutely. And, and that is evidenced if you go online and look at the number of positions that they uh, that Brightline has been recruiting in, over the last year. Because I think when I first learned about Brightline about uh, almost a year and a half ago, um, you all were in two states in Massachusetts and California. And now, as you mentioned at the beginning, you're na- nationwide. And so there is, is support available across the United States. Um, and that support is in the form of real human beings there to help you, um, as well as a fantastic online library that has been curated and created by real human beings um, based on, as we've stressed throughout this conversation, clinical evidence and and what you all have seen in um, in practice. So um, Allison, Honora, I just, I want to say thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for sharing your experience and, and your knowledge with our members. Um, and I, I so look forward to our, our membership having the opportunity to engage with, um, with Brightline. Thanks so much for having us today. Absolutely. Looking forward to this. Thanks again to Allison Stoner and Honora Einhorn from Brightline Health. Foreign Service Benefit Plan members can learn more about Brightline and sign up at hellobrightline.com slash FSVP or by calling 888-224-7332. Brightline services are available to FSVP members at in-network cost sharing, which means deductible and coinsurance may apply. Currently, Brightline is available only to those members located in the United States. This has been AFSPA Talks, a production of the American Foreign Service Protective Association. All information offered in this podcast is meant to be educational. The views expressed by the hosts and guests are their own and do not necessarily represent AFSPA. Should there be any discrepancy between information offered in this podcast and official plan documents for the Foreign Service Benefit Plan or the other products offered by AFSPA, the policy provisions will prevail. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to Ask the Talks on your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss an episode. Please join us at 11 a.m. Eastern on Thursday, August 25th for AFSPA Live. Look for more information on our website or on our social feeds on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at AFSPA Cares. I'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for joining us this week on AFSPA Talks. Be sure to subscribe to our channel so you'll never miss an episode. If you have any follow-up questions about the topics in this episode, join our AFSPA Live Q&A session on the last Thursday of every month. We will be streaming live on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash AFSPA Cares at 11 a.m. Eastern Time to answer your questions. Thanks for listening.